0: all right good morning randall church glad to be here with you this morning sorry i didn't even give you a chance to say good morning back as uh (laughs) you know as brian came up here with the stapler in hand i was wondering what you were doing with that thing i I had no idea i'm having one of those mornings as well to be honest with you i got um a two-month-old in the house uh my wife uh gave birth i guess it was since the last time i've been here my wife gave birth to uh lira davis uh, about two months ago on november 14th almost three months ago now and along with that uh nursing two-month-old now my wife is taking care of our other two children with the flu this morning so it's uh it's been one of those mornings but it is going to be okay um for those of you who don't know me my name is dan Uh, i am one of the pastors at renewal church over in north tonawanda new york a church that was planted by randall church uh, about four, four or five years ago, somewhere along those lines. Um, and, and Milo is over there this morning uh, preaching from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 at Renewal. And I will be here this morning. And we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 12, verses 35 through 53. Luke chapter 12, 35 through 53. That's Luke. That's the third book in the New Testament. Chapter 12 which is the 12th chapter of that book, and verses 35 through 53. You know, everyone knows that one day the world is going to end. Everybody knows that. Everybody agrees that one day the world is going to end. And you're already thinking this is going to be one of those uplifting sermons I can see, right? <laughs> but the truth of the matter is we, we all know that one day the, the world is going to end. There is, is coming a day where the world as we know it will be no more. Now, a lot of people disagree on exactly how that is going to happen. Uh, so, some people are, are looking billions of years in the future where, where the sun will burn up and explode and do whatever it's going to do and, and life will be no more on the earth. Other people think it will happen from uh, nuclear fallout uh, there's, there's a lot of differences of opinions out there. A- a- and over the last century, uh, there's been technology developed and there have been threats made with said, said technology that, that make that reality hit a little bit closer to home for people, right? A- as we see threats of nuclear war and we see threats of, of all these terrible things that could, that could do a lot of damage uh, to our planet, uh, a lot of people have come to realize that, man, this, this is really going to happen one way or another. And in response, there has been a big movement in recent years uh, of people who are preparing for the world to end. They are preparing for what they call doomsday. And these uh, people who are a part of such movement are so creatively known as doomsday preppers. That's right. They put a lot of thought into their name. They are doomsday preppers. And basically what a doomsday prepper does is he thinks through what do I need in order to live? What are the things that are going to sustain me? What are the things that if I don't have them, I will die. Let me stockpile up on those things. And and people will go and they will build these, these bomb shelters in their basement and they will stock them full of food and water and whatever else they deem necessary to live. They are preparing for doomsday. Well, church, as the people of God, as the people who have put our trust in Jesus Christ, in the one who has died and he has risen never to die again, and the one who has promised that one day he will return, we are not looking for doomsday. We are looking for what we could call groom's day. Because it rhymes. It rhymes. And because the Bible and Jesus himself speaks to us and calls us the bride of Christ. And we look forward to the day when he returns, when our groomsman returns and he brings us home to be with him forever. We know that Jesus is going to return. And for those who know Christ, it will not bring an end. It will not bring doom, but it will bring the consummation of eternal life it will bring the consummation of abundant life and it will bring consummation of us being with our god in his immediate presence forever for all of eternity and the way to prepare for it as we are going to see the way to prepare for it is not like a doomsday prepper who hoards everything for himself. A doomsday prepper goes and he finds everything and he stockpiles it and he keeps it for himself in order to try to preserve his life no matter what happens. But the way that we prepare for it is to give ourselves away. We give ourselves away. And specifically, we give ourselves away to Christ. Believers in Jesus live by dying to themselves and living to Christ Take a look with me. We're going to be uh, in Luke chapter 12, as I've already said, starting at verse 35. And and real quick, we're just going to go through uh, verse 40 first. 35 through verse 40. It says, be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning, like men waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. I tell you the truth. He will dress himself to serve. He will dress himself to serve. will have them recline at table and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready. Even if he comes in the second or third watch of the night. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming... He would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Groom's day preppers die to themselves and live to Christ. Groom's day preppers die to themselves and live to Christ. Now, we see a parable here that Jesus is telling to, to all who are listening. And he starts off with the command he starts off with the point of the parable. A lot of times we see the point of the parable kind of come at the end, or maybe he explains it after he speaks the parable. Here, he says it at the very beginning. He says, be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning. When he says, be dressed, ready for service, what what he literally said there is to keep your loins girded. To keep your loins girded. Now, in those days, uh, men wore long tunics, that went down to about their ankles, and they were constricting. If you were trying to work, if you had to bend your knees, if you were at war, or, or whatever you might have had going on, that you might have to move around a little bit, they had to find a way to get the tunic up above their knees, so they had full range of motion. So they would pull them up, would, this is a little graphic looking, but they pull them out behind, and they would tie them in front, and that would keep the tunic above their knees. And Jesus said to, to keep your loins girded or to be dressed ready for service. In other words, we could think of it like this. Don't put your jammies on, all right? Don't put your jammies on while you're waiting for the groom to return. Whenever uh, my wife and I travel out of town, I, am a, I take the minimalist approach, okay? In, in packing, I want all of my stuff with me on my carry-on, And the carry-on size, as you might know, is getting a little smaller and smaller, it seems, by the week. And and so what I do is I I don't pack jammies. I don't pack pajamas. And I I just sleep in whatever I wore that day. Whether it's my jeans, sometimes I'll leave my shoes on. You know, it doesn't matter. I, I stay dressed ready for action. I stay dressed ready for service. And Jesus tells his church to do the same thing. Stay dressed, ready for service. And he says to keep your lamps burning. Keep burning the midnight oil. In other words, what he is saying is always stay ready. Always stay on alert. In other words, we are always to be ready for whatever Jesus calls us to do. We are always to be ready for whatever Jesus calls us to do. We are to give our lives wholly, to him, and die to ourselves. Look at how he describes it with the parable. Verse 36, he says to do this like men who are waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. Now, if you've ever been to any amount of weddings, what what you might have learned is you never know how long a wedding is going to go, right? And the servants might have been inclined to ask, is this going to be a Baptist wedding or is this going to be a Catholic wedding? Because that makes a big difference in in the time span. If it's a Baptist wedding, we're talking like 15 minutes. If we're talking about a Catholic wedding, we're talking about an hour and a half, at least. If you've ever been to one, you know it's true. And the master is going off to a wedding banquet. They don't know when he's going to return. He could return soon he could return much later in the night, he could return the next morning, but they stay dressed, ready for action, so that when he comes calling, they are ready to serve him. In this parable, we see two pictures. We see the picture of a ready household, and we see the picture of an unready household. The ready household is the first one. The men, uh, the, the servants who are, are waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet. At this household, the servants stand ready for their master at all hours of the night. They have given their lives to him. They have given their lives to his service. Certainly, they have other cares in the world. Certainly, they have other things that, that they could be doing. Certainly they have other things that they are keeping an eye on, but they always keep their eyes, first and foremost, out for their master. They stand ready at all hours of the day to serve him. But look at what we see about the master in this picture. In verse 37, He says, it will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. I tell you the truth, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at table, and will come and wait on them. Now this was absolutely 100% unheard of. The master never serves the servant in any kind of way. The servant does what he is supposed to do, And the master accepts it. And that is all. But what we learn about this master, what we learn about the master that Jesus speaks of, is that he is a master who gives all of himself to his servants as well. This is a master who gives all of himself to his servants as well. We see a ready household first. A a household in which the servants are ready for their master and they are rewarded when they stand ready they are rewarded by the master himself but in verse 39 jesus kind of flips the imagery a little bit he 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 changes over just a bit and he says but understand this if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming he would not have let his house be broken into this is the unready household This is a completely different household, okay? It's not the same as the first. The owner of the house leaves, but there was a thief coming. If he would have known that a thief was coming, he would have stayed home ready. He would have stayed home ready. The unready household is not ready for whatever is to come. And Jesus says, you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Jesus Christ is going to return, but we don't know when. We have no idea when. He, he, he says it so many times throughout the Gospels, and he says it right here. The Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Now, I have to say, I beg you, Please, don't come up to me afterwards and ask me, so when do you think Jesus is going to come back? Because I guarantee one of you is already preparing the question. I know it. I just know it. It happens every single time. I don't know. None of us know the day. None of us know the hour. None of us know the year. None of us know the millennium in which Jesus will come back. And that is the point, is that we are to stand ready for whenever he does. You know why I think God doesn't tell us of the time of his return? You know why I think he does that? It's so that we will always stand ready. Because if he told us the specific time of his return, we might be tempted to to wait until that time is approaching. You know, whenever my wife leaves the house, whenever she leaves the house, she leaves you already know right where I'm going with this, right? Whenever she leaves the house, she leaves me with a list of at least three to 27 chores to do before she comes home. And, and what I have taken to do, I can, I can give this away because she's not here this morning, but what I have taken to do is, is when she's walking out the door, I say, hey, Krista, can you, can you text me as soon as you get there? Just let me know you made it safe, all right? And then, I, and then I, when she texts me, I say, okay, text me when you're leaving. And what I've really done is I've timed how long it took her to get there. And then when she texts me that she's leaving, I know how much time I have to do those chores. <laughs> Sorry, guys, if I gave away your secret. But isn't, wouldn't it be the same with us if Christ had told us when he was returning? That we might be tempted not to stand ready, but say, oh, the the time is coming. Better get to it. None of us know the day and hour, but Jesus has called us to give him our whole lives. Jesus has called us to give him our whole selves so that we will always be standing at the ready Now this parable has uh, very much of an upward focus. I know here at Randall you speak a lot about uh, the, the upward, the inward, and the outward relationships. And this has very much of an upward focus. We are to give ourselves completely to our master as we await his return. That means we are to see everything in our lives, every single part of it, as being his. Whether it is our time, it's God's. Whether it is our, our purpose in life, it's our purpose aligns with God's purpose. Whether it's our gifts and abilities, whether it's our will, whether it's our money. Jesus actually just told uh, two. It gave two teachings just before this about money, and he said, in." in Luke chapter 12 verse 32, do not be afraid little flock for your father has been has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. We're even to see our money as a hundred percent God's. Not just 10 percent of it is his. Not just 10% of our time is his, not just our Sunday mornings, not just whatever little section we try to put our, our, our godly part of our lives in. He calls for our whole lives in order to give them to him. But this does not mean that we stand around looking at the sky, waiting for his return by doing nothing. It means that we are to be about the master's business and that's what we see in the second parable. Look with me at verses 41 through 48. It says, Peter asked, Lord, are you, telling, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? Now, aren't you glad that Peter asked that question? Aren't you glad that he went ahead and asked it for us? Because there's, there's so many things that Jesus says that, that we're like, hmm, surely he's not talking to me there, right? Surely he's just talking to, to his 12 disciples. When Jesus tells me, it says to sell my possessions and give to the poor, that's just, that's for the super spiritual, right? That's just for those 12. When Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, surely he's just talking to the 12, right? Aren't you glad that Peter goes ahead and, and asks the question for you so that you don't have to? Well, let's see how Jesus responds. The Lord answered, Who then is the faithful and wise manager, whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth. He will put him in charge of all of his possessions. But suppose the servant says to himself, My master is taking a long time in coming and then he begins to beat the men servants and the maid servants and to eat and drink and get drunk the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he is not aware of he will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers that servant who knows his master's will and does not get ready or does not do what his master wants will be beaten with many blows but the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked of him. It seems like Jesus, at first, is just kind of dodging Peter's question. Is, is this just for us, the twelve? The or is this for everyone but really, Jesus is speaking this parable to all. And what he is saying is those who have greater privilege have greater responsibility. Greater privilege always brings greater responsibility. We know, these, we know this from our work life, right? When you have greater privilege, when you get a promotion at work, you get the job that, that you really wanted, it also comes with greater responsibility. For those who know God we have a great great privilege we have the greatest privilege of all the world god has given his people the great privilege of knowing him and being his ambassadors and he sets each of us over a great many things now in this picture we again we see two different pictures in the first one we saw a ready household and an unready household In this one, we see a faithful servant and we see an unfaithful servant. The faithful servant comes early on. He is the one who, well, I'll just read it. Uh, Jesus says, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. And he says, I tell you the truth, he will put him in charge of all of his possessions the faithful servant takes the privilege he has been given and takes what he has been set over and uses them for his master's purpose now we've all been given different things that we have been set over some of us have have been given much some of us have been given a smaller amount some of us have have been given much in one area and a small amount in another area and some of us, much in the second area and little in the first. But God calls us to be faithful servants. He calls us to be faithful servants who no matter what he has given us, we use it for his glory. We use it for his purposes so that when he returns, he will find us honoring our master. He will find us living For him, not living for ourselves, but living for him. The unfaithful servant we see starting in verse 45. Suppose the servant says to himself, My master is taking a long time in coming. And he then begins to beat the men servants and the maid servants and to eat and drink and get drunk. This servant is living for himself. He sees all the blessings that, that have been left in his charge and, and he takes them all for himself. He keeps them all to himself. And he says, you know what? My life, it's it's about me. It's all about me. The unfaithful takes what he has been set over and he uses them for his own purposes rather than the master's. This is a heart issue. This shows us where a servant's heart lies. As soon as the master is gone, as soon as he is not looking, so the servant thinks, his heart shows itself, is being turned toward itself, or, or toward himself. His heart is not for the master. If his heart was for the master, he would care about what the master cared about. The servant, it represents unbelievers. God does still set unbelievers over a great many things. You know, everything in this world, it is God's. Whether it's been entrusted to someone who who is a, a believer in Jesus or whether it's been entrusted to someone who is not, everything in this world actually belongs to God god does still set unbelievers over a great many things things that still belong to the one true god our question is where are our hearts turned who does your life belong to does it belong to yourself or does it belong to jesus christ verses 47 and 48 tell us the point tell us the answer to Peter's question. He says in those verses, that servant who who knows his master's will and does not get ready or does not do what his master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Now, he's not saying that when Jesus returns, you're going to get beaten, okay? Brian got it. That's not what he's saying. Jesus isn't coming back with his, with his, you know, his, his baseball bat, I'm going to knock you over the head. But we do know that when Christ returns, there will be a divide between those who belong to him and those who do not. We know that those who belong to him will will come before the master and, and, and will receive the master himself. And those who do not will be separated from him in hell. They will feel the wrath of God. Whereas the first picture had a very upward focus. This one shows how the upward focus leads to an outward focus. If you are a believer in Christ today, you have been set over the greatest possession of all this world. You have been set with the gospel. You have been set with the message of the saving love of Jesus Christ, of the message of what he has done. Though we are all, all servants who deserve punishment, We have been given the message that Jesus Christ has come and has taken our punishment for us who were found in him. We are called to steward this gospel. We are called to steward this gospel. As those who know the gospel, we are called to be ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We are called to live it out, and we are called to speak it out. We are called to live it out in in everything that we do in our lives, that we do it all to the glory of God, that we set all of the things in our lives, and we say, this is yours, Lord, and however you call me to use it, whether it's selling everything I have and, and giving to the poor, or whether it's moving. Away from my family and going to a people who do not know you, no matter what it is you are calling me to do, Lord, I will do it. And those who know the Word of God are called to live by it. There are many who grow up in the church all their lives, and they hear the gospel time after time after time, and yet they never submit to it. They they never respond to it in repentance and belief and there are others who would say that that they know the gospel that they they have done that but they've never turned around and stewarded the gospel they they know everything about the bible they know everything there is to know they go to bible study four nights a week and then the other three they go to some other church event but they never steward the gospel They never put it out there. They never speak it. They never live it out to those who don't know. As we steward faithfully, as we steward faithfully, we steward the gospel. We steward the gospel through all that God has given us. But how can we be faithful servants? How can we be faithful servants? I think Jesus gives us the answer in the next few verses. Look with me at verse 49 through 53. It says, I, Jesus says, I have come to bring fire on the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo and how distressed I am until it is completed. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other. Three against two and two against three. They will be divided. Father against son and son against father. Mother against daughter and daughter against mother. mother Mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Jesus says, I have come to bring fire on the earth. I have come to bring division. He said, do you think I have come to bring peace on earth? Now, in some sense, it it is true that, that Jesus did bring peace on earth. He brought peace between God and man. He brought peace between God and all those who put their faith in Christ. But he is saying, I have made a divide between the faithful and the unfaithful, between the ready and the unready. The cross of Christ is the great divider. The cross of Jesus Christ is the great divider. Those who are prepping for groom's day, they look to Christ above all else. They look to Christ above anything else in their life. There is no ready and faithful servant outside of the cross of Jesus Christ. That's the only place we can find ready and faithful servants. Without the cross of Christ, you are not even able to be a faithful servant. Without the cross of Christ, you are not able to to set your heart on God. We can't do it on our own. We are a sinful people. We are dead in our trespasses, and dead men cannot make themselves alive again. But praise God, he has sent someone to bring us life. He has sent Jesus Christ, in order to awaken our hearts, in order to awaken our souls, in order to awaken our lives so that we may be ready for the day of his return, so that we may be a a people who are faithful to him. But his cross does cause a division. It causes a division between the ready and faithful and those who are unready and unfaithful. And he says that even families will be divided between the faithful and the unfaithful. Christian, let me ask you, what is your heart set on today? Is it set on anything above Jesus Christ? Is it set, does does it set your money above him in a way that says, you know, I mean, Jesus, you can have everything else, but, but not that. Is it set on your family above him? Is it set on your popularity? What, what is it set on? I can guarantee that Jesus Christ is better. He is worth it. When he is baptized, he says, I have, I have a baptism to undergo. He is talking about the suffering of the cross. When he is baptized in the suffering of the cross, we are baptized with him. We are baptized with him. He gives us his faithful status and he begins conforming us to his image. His image of faithfulness. His image that, that, that has his heart set on the glory of God above anything else. And he begins forming that in us. What is your heart set on today? What, is, what are you living for today? In both parables... We see servants, and we see this, this idea of, of being uh, slaves to a master. And we don't like to think of ourselves as servants, do we? Especially here in America, where we have more freedoms than, than anyone else in, in all of the world. We don't like to think of ourselves as servants. We take offense at that. It, mean, it, it means that we are lowly. In some kind of way doesn't it let me tell you something the greatest lie that American culture and Western philosophy has sold to us is that we can be a completely free people that is a great lie that that is that is unfounded it says that we are free to ourselves and while it is true that in America we know more freedoms than anybody else, any other country in this world, we are still slaves to something. Let me illustrate this for just a moment. When a man is sentenced to prison, let's say a man is sentenced to prison for 20 years, we say he has lost his freedoms. But then when that 20 years is over, after 20 years of being confined to a cell, after 20 years of being confined uh, to the, the prison schedule of the day, it, all those 20 years that we say he has lost his freedoms, after 20 years is over, we say that he has been set free. But has he really been set free? Isn't he still a slave to many things in this world? I'll just give you one. He's a slave to gravity, right? Right? he's a slave to gravity. We all are. We are all slaves to something. What's the difference though? Why do we say that that man is free even though he's still a slave to many things including gravity but the man in prison was not free? It's because you were not made to be in a prison cell but you were designed for gravity to hold you down. There is great freedom in being enslaved to the things that you were made to be enslaved to. And my friends, we were made for God. And there is great freedom in knowing Jesus Christ. There is great freedom in giving our lives to him. Because you are a slave to whatever you feel like you need to live. Whatever that thing is, you are a slave to that thing. Whether it's your money or your stuff or your job, your self-esteem or your ego, whether it's your sin, whatever it may be. Whatever you say, I need that to live, you are a slave to it. And you know why that is? It's because we are not designed to be independent. We are made to be ruled. But we are made to be ruled by God. We are made to be found in him. You are always a servant of something. So there is no reason to be offended that God would set us free from all of those things that we were not created for. He has set us free from those things in order that we might be servants to God because that is where life is found. That is where life is found. Jesus Christ has come to set us free. And he has set us free to be found in himself, to be found as servants of God. When Christ sets us free, he sets us us free from the bondage we have to sin, to idols, in order that we may be slaves to Christ. My friends, there is no better place to be. That is what you were created for. And that, I can guarantee, is where you can find the most satisfaction, the most freedom in your life. If you have a hard time grasping how this can be good news, just look at how God, look at how the master honors his servants for doing nothing more than simply doing their job. He gives himself to his people. I want to tell you something today. God is the gospel. God is the gospel. He is not just the one who planned it. He is not just the one who accomplished it. He is not just the one who sustains its power in your life. He is the reward of it. And when we finally stand before him face to face, we will have everything that we were always looking for. Our God is the gospel. Church, don't you know that you are the bride of christ don't you know that life is found in him and in him alone don't you know that he has given all of himself on the cross in order that you may give all of yourself to him you have been bought with his blood You have been bought by his death, and he has gone before us to prepare a place for us. And one day soon, he will return. He will return. That is a promise. That is a guarantee. It was guaranteed the day that he rose from the dead, never to die again. That from now on, whatever I say, you can now on guarantee that I will do it. And he said that he is coming again to bring us home to be with him. Church, you can believe that. You can believe that you are the bride of christ you can believe that you were made for him he has died and raised to life in order to give you his righteous standing and to make you new and upon his return we will be robed in his glory we will stand face to face with him and we will reign with him forever and most importantly we will be near to God himself. We will have all, we will have every longing fulfilled. Every, every longing that we have inside, he will fill it. And he will do that based on his merit, not on our own. Based on the cross, the great divider, he has given all of himself to us so that we may respond in giving all of ourselves to him. So as his bride, he calls us to give all of ourselves to him. That's what a bride does, right? That's what a bride and groom do. They give all of themselves to one another. Every area of our lives we give to him. There is nothing in our life that we look at and we say, that one's mine. We look at everything in our lives, including our life itself, and we say, this belongs to Christ. And we go to his word and we say, we go to it. Before we even open it up, before we even read it, we go to it and we say, yes, Lord, yes. I I don't know what you're going to say to me today in your word, but whatever it is, I say yes. I say yes right now because you have my life. We do that here and now as we await his return. And that means we give him everything. We give him all of ourselves. We live completely in submission and abandonment to him. There is no prenuptial agreement here. There is nothing that says, well, but if this happens, then there is only Christ. Church, don't look to the things of the world to find life. Don't look to the things of the world to give you life, to sustain your life, to to prepare yourself for that day. Look to Christ, in Christ alone. He is the only one who sustains. He is the only one who saves. And he is the only one who fulfills. I'm gonna go ahead and call the band up uh, as, as we pray. I, I ask that as we, we pray today and as we take communion, I, I, I would invite you to, to, to go to God, to speak to the Holy Spirit and say, search me. Spirit, search me. And show me if there is anything within me that I have not given to you. And teach me, Lord, how to give myself to you. Pray with me. God, we thank you, Lord. Lord God, that you have given all of yourself to us. Lord, you have given yourself to us on the cross. That is no small thing, Lord. That you stood in our place that you took the wrath of the Father that we deserved and you took it on yourself so that we may be ready, so that we may know you. God, I pray that as your people, you would search us and you would show in us, Lord, if there is anything that we have not given to you, And Lord, we stand by your grace, by a people who trust in the cross of Christ, knowing that that we must continue to repent as those things creep up in our lives, as, as as we tend to let our hearts wander. Lord, we thank you for your grace that draws us back. And we pray, Lord, that you would show us those things in our lives and that you would grant us repentance from them so that we may stand ready, so that we may be faithful stewards. Lord, we thank you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.